0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevits, and today's guest is a marketer, the best aggregator among all aggregators, and co-founder of Juked, which at this time has raised around $350,000 for their public investment. Please let me introduce Ben Goldhaber, or as some of you might know, as Fish Sticks. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Blake. Uh, I got a chance to tune into some of your previous interviews and uh, really like how you run these things. So I was more than happy to jump on.
0: That's good. That's good. You know, I always I I always wonder if people ever check out and I I give them like information like, hey, you might want to check out some of these interviews because I try to do a really different interview style than anyone else. Um, so I'm really happy you actually watched, so that way you're not <laughs> yeah, going to be yeah. blindsided. Um, so I do like to start the show off fairly easy, though, uh, before we get into like maybe deep and personal and things that are happening about your life. One of the cool things I found out about you when I researched about you is you are a very big fan of Japan, um, <laughs> which I find awesome because I was actually born in Japan, and I oh. was really jealous when I read through your your Japan tour guide <laughs> of the incredibly uh, amazing things that there are to do there. Um is is that some place that you've ever thought about like living or going to, or is it just some place that you just visit and like to visit?
1: Uh, I I fantasize about moving to Japan at least once a week. Uh, you know, it's actually believe it or not, it has Japan has this reputation of being an, a really really expensive country. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of overblown. It's not actually true. Uh, you can own a good piece of real estate in somewhere like Kyoto for like a couple hundred thousand dollars compared to where I live right now, San Francisco. You you live
0: in San Francisco, so I mean. whoa,
1: (laughs) let let me think about this for a second. Uh, No, I think I'd love to uh, spend more and more of the year there every year. Uh, My my goal is to maybe be there for a month every year if I can.
0: So what's stopping you from moving now? I mean, if anything, COVID has probably shown (laughs) that uh, you don't actually have to leave your house ever uh yeah. if, if you really don't want to which is terrifying and awful but i mean w- when's the move to japan happening because i will say I've, I've looked at prices in la when i was doing esports stuff there and it is insanely expensive and san francisco is just as bad if not worse uh so i could i could fully see yeah. a move to uh to japan what's stopping you oh, time zones i mean i i
1: am running my own company now and uh, would, uh I'd love to eventually, believe me, like I actually, I hope that it happens one one year, but right now uh, I've got a company to run and that kind of precludes that, a big that, thing like that.
0: That's, that's fair, that's fair. I mean, the company yeah. is probably pretty important. Actually, it's funny you mentioned startups because that was another thing when I was going through, kind of like your career, you and startups are like, you're like a, a married couple. You really enjoy startups.
1: Well, I mean, I, yes, but I sort of lucked into this crazy situation that yeah. I found myself in. Um, you know, I, I was able to join the Justin TV team yeah. before the launch of Twitch back in 2011. Uh, but that was, that was more of an, an accident or, or just this, just uh, freak occurrence than anything. I mean, I, I was obsessed with esports at the time, but I was never like, I'm going to go join an early stage startup. It just so happened that I was in San Francisco and mm-hmm. they were trying to pivot to esports and, one thing. Yeah. To the next.
0: We're, we're going to have a lot of questions on that that I don't yeah, think you've I'm been jumping. Asked before, so I, You are. You are jumping yeah. way ahead. But it's OK. It's OK. So yeah. uh, one of the cool things you grew up in Berkeley, California, right? Yeah. OK. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in Berkeley, California. What is that like growing up in Berkeley, California? Like what kind of what kind of lifestyle did you grow up in there?
1: Yeah, um, I, I will fully uh, admit that there is a serious sense of superiority that pretty much everyone in the Bay Area have, has. Because, I mean, I, I truly love the Bay Area. You know, San Francisco in particular gets a bad rap these days, <laughs> and for good reason. Uh, you know, gentrification, homelessness, rising costs. Uh, it's the most expensive place to live in the world, yeah. probably outside of like Hong Kong in terms of square footage. Uh, and there's a lot to hate, but. Uh, what I love about the Bay Area is, you know, I could say all the typical uh, Silicon Valley stuff about the entrepreneurial spirit and everyone's go-getter, but everyone's extremely progressive as well. Um, they're, I would say, very well-educated general populace. People, uh, you know, when when I grew up in Berkeley, California, all of my friends were were hippies and and super liberal, but you know, our our idea of a good time was to, you know chat about philosophy or t- whatever, uh, maybe, uh, go up, uh, go up to one of the vistas over, uh, over, overlooking Berkeley and, uh, maybe, maybe toke up a little bit, but talk about philosophy and yeah. have that educate, you know, that, uh, that, uh, deeper kind of philosophical conversation. So growing up in Berkeley was amazing. Uh, the food's amazing. The people are, are really kind and really progressive, uh, and, and really, uh, well-educated and that, that You know was a big part of my life growing up
0: what did your parents do then growing up why were why were you in berkeley to begin with like what did they do
1: yeah actually my family is um second or i guess yeah second generation in the bay area um my mom's side is actually even further than that so oakland berkeley uh i definitely have really deep roots here um and both of my parents actually went to uc berkeley in the mm-hmm. 60s so they were there during the civil rights kind of movement um during the summer of love in berkeley california so uh i guess you can see where the hippie uh, mm-hmm. comes from
0: okay um, so that, that brings me to some very interesting questions for today so we're gonna like segue a little bit here so your parents you mentioned uh, being in like the 60s Um, And then being part of, like, uh, Vietnam and stuff like that, uh, what do they think about, like, what's happening today? Do you ever have conversations with them about, like, some of the political stuff that is going on today?
1: Yeah, um, it's super, super weird because all all my parents and their friends kind of were – in Berkeley in the 60s, doing all the civil rights stuff. They traveled the world doing like meditation, like they are your quintessential hippies. Uh, But half of them became Republican later in life, which is really, really confusing to me. Um, I would say my parents are like a very strange hybrid of, of still very liberal in some ways, but also very conservative in other ways. So it's actually not as... Uh, as you probably might expect, Uh, they're not super happy about what's going on right now. My mom actually was an epidemiologist in Mm -hmm. a previous life, so she studied the spread of disease for many years, and uh, she's uh, pretty disappointed with the current state of affairs, to
0: say the least. I feel like that is probably a fair assessment of uh, everything that's going on. Um, So growing up, what did your parents do for work? So... um,
1: also, one thing that you may have uncovered is I'm a triplet.
0: Yes, you do. So,
1: you have two brothers. I've got two brothers, yep. same, same age. We're all born at the same time. We don't have any other siblings, but... There's got to be three, some
0: second difference, right? Like you're holding that over one other. Who is technically the oldest? <laughs> who's the middle? Who's the youngest? I'm, I'm the
1: youngest. I'm okay. the youngest by minutes, not by years. Um, so... Uh, I think my mom kind of stopped working for the most part, um, you know, in terms of like a full-time job uh, just to take care of the kids. Yeah. Cause there's three of us all at once, but she's always been involved in like nonprofit work. Um, she's been running the Claremont Canyon Conservancy, which is like Berkeley Hills, like making sure that doesn't catch on fire. Uh, the 91 fire almost burned down my, my family's house in Berkeley um, in the Oakland, Oakland Berkeley Hills. Um, uh, but my dad, I think I got a lot of inspiration from him growing up because he's been an entrepreneur his entire life and is actually a very, very successful uh, technology entrepreneur writing both both of the first two tech waves. So um, when personal computing was first developing in the 80s, he built a company which connected IBM Mac PCs with a single cable. So it was basically like the first LAN network um, and then in the second dot in com boom in the, in, in 99, he created like an internet marketing company, um, mm-hmm. which eventually went public on, on, uh, on the wow. New York Stock Exchange. So, um, my dad has been involved in technology. He did a lot of venture capital throughout the years, built and sold companies, built and went public with companies. Uh, so, uh, safe to say that he had like a really, really fruitful career in technology and growing up, I was always like. I want to do business. I don't know what that means, but I want to do that.
0: Yeah, did what was it like growing up for someone who who is this entrepreneur? Like, is he teaching you lessons? Is he being like, man, you have to learn that if you don't sell this for this amount, you could be like anything like that? Absolutely not at all.
1: I mean, I think again, we us, I, I'm a millennial, and I think the stereotypical thing is like. Every millennials' parents was like, "You're special. You're amazing. You're whatever you do, you're gonna be successful at." And that was kind of how me and my brothers grew up. Okay. Uh, that was that was how we were brought up. And no, no, I was never like instilled like it was never like, "Oh, you should go do business. You should go be an entrepreneur." That was never really an expectation.
0: Okay, what what were the expectations from your parents growing up? Did you have any like was there uh, minimum grade requirements? I see that happening a lot. Um, Anything like that you have to do, like, sports or anything like that? Uh, not, I
1: mean, honestly, not a lot. I think our parents were very, very f- um, accommodating and flexible for helping us drive towards our passions mm-hmm. as kids. Uh, I, I mean, I just had a super, super lucky childhood. Uh, first of all, having two brothers, same age, mm-hmm. was, was great. Is that great? Uh, but ha-
0: is, it, is it really oh, great? We,
1: we got along famously, okay. honestly. Yeah, we really did. We shared all the same friends. Um yeah, it
0: yeah. was pretty great. Yeah, yeah I, I, I I only have I have a little brother, so where he's four years difference than me. Um, so yeah. I'm the oldest, and so there was uh, some things that are good, and then there's other things like I, you're my little brother, you're annoying. So, but being only minutes apart, I imagine that that is uh, that's gotta be an interesting scenario. So, growing up, um, uh, one of the interesting things that we'll kind of get into later is you actually went for a degree in uh environmental economics, um, which is very. Interesting degree choice considering your current pathway, I would say, um, and where you're at. Um, so like growing up, what were the things that you were passionate about? What were things that you enjoy to uh, to learn about? I know video games to some degree yeah. came, into, came into play, um, very obviously. Um, if it didn't, that would be really weird.
1: Yeah, no, um, being a technology-focused family, yeah. uh, we got gaming consoles really early. I grew up with the NES uh, grew up with, uh, Sega. Um, we had, we had, you know, Game Boy, we had the Game Gear, the gigantic thing with, that took 17 batteries. Um, so video games were always present in our lives. Yeah. And, uh, something that all three of us, me and my brothers just fell into. Uh, I think we played Sonic two and beat it, uh, every day for about four years, Sonic two and Sonic three. Um, and then, then the N64 came out and it just, everything you know changed because then it went from like playing sonic and of course we did play zelda we did play mario 64 but smash bros competitive games beating the hell out of all of our friends you know we had embedded practice partners in the house so we were like way better than pretty much all of our friends which i later learned in life means absolutely nothing you can still be terrible even though you're dunking on all your friends constantly um but yeah video games uh I really used to enjoy playing music a lot um, really I, I used to play the drums uh, and I used to play the clarinet um, really really enjoyed that uh, in in high school especially played a lot of music um those those are some of the big passions I mean I, I did play sports but I was never very good mm-hmm. I played tennis and I played football at school at, yeah. l- at lunch, but never seriously.
0: Yeah, I uh, I actually played the clarinet too um, growing up until I chopped off my fingers, and then you oh. you can't play the clarinet. Anymore. Oh, oh god! <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Uh. But yeah, and then I learned how to play guitar later on. So I mean, that's kind of cool. So, but yeah, no clarinet. <laughs> clarinet was a fun instrument. Um. I did you ever do like any bands or stuff, or did you mostly just do orchestra stuff?
1: Um. I did jazz
0: mostly. Yeah. Okay. Jazz is a with lot drums of fun. as well. With drums as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Interesting. So you're growing up, um, you're going through uh, life, right? Like just everyday life. You're really big into video games. Um, You're you're getting towards college. Um, What makes you think I want to go for environmental economics? Because it seems like such an odd degree to like it like it's it doesn't it's not like one of the big ones that you would think about uh, like today, like people like, oh, I'm going to be an engineer or uh, I don't know, something else like that. Yeah. Well, I
1: think you you have to put yourself, uh, first of all, in my shoes as a total hippie growing up in Berkeley, uh, that alone, like already was, I, you know, I really love hiking. I really love nature. And, you know, I think it just was in the water in the Mm -hmm. Bay Area, but it was also a product of the time. Um, This was, I I was going into college when green tech was like a new term that nobody was talking about yet. Um, and, you know, renewable energy and sustainability, obviously they're still really important today, but at the time, you know, I think, um, Al Gore was t- starting to talk about climate change and yeah. it was, it was a really like attractive, um, major just from, you know, everyone's perception was like, this is where you're going to get a job. Yeah. But for me, I actually was passionate about it. You know, I actually cared. Um, I did want to save the world and I was fully Fully planning on getting, uh, you know, working in this space after college. Uh, you know, esports was a hobby and it was had been a hobby for about 10 years. Even at that time, I had been playing games competitively uh in organized league play for you know eight, nine years at the time. But uh no, I was fully planning on trying to save the world and then <laughs> took a left turn and now I'm doing nothing like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: When did that moment change where you're like, I don't want to save the world anymore? Because there's got to be a moment where you're like, I just would rather do this than saving the world is good. But this is way cooler.
1: Actually, um, well, I guess there was a moment. It was when I got a job offer at Justin TV. But um, yeah, so just, you know, taking a step back, like I played games competitively for about a decade. Yeah, Um, I played tribes. Played Tribes Vengeance, Tribes tribes Ascend, Tribes 1. You are a really big Tribes fan. I was a really big Tribes guy for literally a decade, um, completely in a Tribes bubble. I didn't know anything about outside eSports, but um, as live streaming technology was start- starting to emerge, this is t- 2007, yeah. um, we saw the launch of Ustream, uh, Justin TV, Own3D, live stream all these platforms launched in the same year. Yeah. Uh, because the technology just simply wasn't really viable prior to that period. And it instantly gave access, gave me access to everything that was happening in esports. So no longer was I in my tribeslash quake bubble. I find I started started to finally break out towards Quake and enemy territory towards the end there. Um, but all of a sudden I could see, oh, there's a StarCraft Brood War stream. Oh, uh, there's a Street Fighter 4 stream. Oh, uh, What is this game? Starcraft 2 is coming out. Oh, my God. It's got 10,000 concurrent viewers. Mind exploding numbers of of viewers. Evo is happening. Oh, my God. There's 20,000 people watching the stream. This is insane. I've never seen any. And um, I really, really became obsessed with not just following the games that I played and that I cared about, but uh, Heroes of New Earth had a 12,000 concurrent. I've never played a MOBA. I've still never played a MOBA. Okay, that's a lot. I played League of Legends. I was gonna once. say
0: if you haven't played um, League of Legends, I would be very
1: surprised. Yeah. One time, um, uh, against bots. Um, so I really became like infatuated with following everything that was happening, and I can't. I, to this day I can't tell you why this became such an obsession of mine. Yeah. Um, but a couple of friends and I got together in about 2009, and we started working on a website called gamescast.tv, yes. which we eventually launched later that year, which aggregated streams from Ustream, Livestream, yeah. Own3D, and was That was, and that that
0: was with uh, Matt Richards, right?
1: Yeah, Matt if Com I mean. and Grease Scotsman. I used to commentate Quake with those guys yep. way, way back in the day, and I think it was Matt's idea originally to build this product. Greased was a engineer slash uh, coder matt did design i did everything else for for the company in terms of partnerships marketing etc yeah Um, so yeah uh we built that website one thing led to the next i got introduced to the justin tv team and before that point i had no aspirations to make esports a full-time career Mm -hmm. like i I always thought it would be something that i did in my free time but i never expected it to uh, be my full-time career
0: Okay, so as soon as you get the job offer, it's like, okay, well, I'll just I'll do this and see what happens. Is that basically what it was?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it started as a short-term contract. You know, I started at Justin TV in early 2011, and it was like, let's see how this goes. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I never really looked back. I think uh, a lot of, if you were in my position, you'd do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, was, uh, when I yeah.
0: to be fair when i got into esports i was actually trying to shift so i started out working in mental health and then i shift over to esports is what i what i did but i had planned i would i was like i will make this work i will do something else in the meantime and i will i will make this a hobby and i will i'll do whatever i can and if i can ever switch i will switch which i i don't blame anyone um yeah so one of the things i want to ask you about justin tv because you actually mentioned all these different uh competitors and i remember some of the I want to say Content Wars is the best way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, were you around for some of that time with Justin TV, with the the Content Wars, where they were trying to compete against, like, Own3D owned was probably the, the biggest one that you guys were trying to compete yeah, against. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you there for some of that?
1: Yeah, I was actually there for all of that. Um, really, I think uh, the Justin TV team had experimented just a little bit with gaming. <laughs> uh, but before I joined, they had not taken the plunge. So I was actually the first person hired at Justin TV to focus solely on gaming. Yeah. And um, it, the reason why, by the way, that we were focusing on gaming is because Emmett Shearer was watching StarCraft 2 streams. So um, StarCraft 2, like literally is the reason that Twitch exists. And I've said that before, but um, no, I was there for that that whole thing.
0: Okay. What was it? Because I imagine the behind the scenes of this thing has got to be, well... From what I've heard, tech in general is a very interesting behind the scenes, um, and I don't know how much the movies portray it up or play it up. Um, everything that goes on, but you're also in this yeah. huge battle that ultimately leads to own three D gone and yeah. Twitch yeah. becoming the the like god that it ends up becoming. Like after that, there wasn't really any other competition, and then Twitch just like exploded even more. Um, so what was the behind the scenes like when you're, when you're dealing with this competition with owned um, 3D behind the scenes? Is it really stressful? Is there things that you have to deal with? Are you guys having meetings like, oh my God, they did this. We have to do this. What was that like?
1: Um, yeah, uh, short answer is yes to all of the above. Um, you know, it, it is probably somewhat how you imagine it, where every single day, you know, we're, we were competing to, uh, for content acquisition. That was really my first role when I joined Justin TV in the first place, because I did have connections to these yep. different streamers, people who are producing esports content tournament organizers and my first job was content acquisition let's go get those people to join our platform that's how we were going to grow uh, 20% every single month for an entire year that's how we did grow 20% every every month for a year <laughs> is by adding all of these streamers to our uh, to to the to the, to the platform um, you know i think it's really important to remember some context you know back in 2010 2011 you couldn't make any money Yes, streaming, YouTube, there was no partner program. It's like crazy to think, this is not even 10 years ago, this is nine years ago. And literally there was no such thing as a professional content creator Mm -hmm. um, on these platforms because it just, you you could not monetize. So, um, you know, early on, I think the strategy that was the winning strategy for Twitch was, let's go make the content creators as happy as we possibly can. And then they'll bring their audience. How do you make them happy? You give them fame, you make them feel loved, Mm -hmm. you make them money. Um, So those were the three principles that we really implemented to try and get everyone to switch to, to Twitch. And I think the, the give them love part was like, Hey, we're a gaming platform. We're about games. Also important to remember gaming was not cool in 2011. It was still a nerdy hobby that you didn't talk about. Um, So we said, "Hey, we're a platform for gamers." And that alone was just like a like it was a bat signal to, to every gamer who felt like there was, you know, they, they had to hide their passion. They just, "Okay, this is the platform. Um give them fame." We had the front page of Twitch, which, you know, we could use to promote people. We had our social media channels. We had awesome PR capabilities. And then make the money. Um, we launched the Twitch Partner program where people could start to put the subscription button on their channel back then, that was really the launch of Twitch was the launch of the partner program as well. Uh, and that was the first time that streamers could actually monetize their audience in a really, really meaningful way. Um, so those three things was like the core strategy that just yeah. helped us win mm-hmm. in that space.
0: Do you have any stories like uh, like uh, like trying to get a content creator or fighting with owned over like some 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 something, and you guys are like, oh my God, we have to do this or we have to offer them this. Do you have any stories like that that might have been really influential at the time? <laughs> um, that you could tell? I guess that would be a... Because <laughs> yeah, I mentioned you that have some. Tell. I think that... that I mean, it's been a long time, so I figured there might be some good stories here that we could tell, but...
1: Yeah, well, um, w- one, of, one of my really fond memories from the early days of Twitch was uh, going to DreamHack. Um, DreamHack Winter in Shirping, yeah. y- Sweden. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I don't know. Um, but uh, so we had a lot of trouble in in Europe. So it was yeah. basically at the time Twitch had dominant market share in North America, Own3D had dominant market share in Europe, and the main reason for that was like actually Twitch's servers like sucked ass for everyone in Europe. Yeah, because we only had a San Francisco server at the time. Uh, we didn't have any presence in Europe, whereas Own3D. They didn't own their own infrastructure. By the way, this is how they died eventually. Is we owned our own infrastructure, they didn't. Yeah. It was pretty unfair advantage. But um, so they would just pay um, CDN costs for any server in Europe. So um, our service sucked. Their service was good. We had no traction in Europe. Um, but so we brought on Alexi White Raw. The, the Starcraft 2 player okay um, he he helped us with Eastern Europe which was huge for dota for Starcraft um, and I remember he had introduced me to uh, some some of the big wigs in in the uh, in the Russian ecosystem at a after party that we were hosting in 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 winter uh, actually it was summer now that I think about it because we stayed up the entire night uh, but I have this like really hilarious memory of just being outside of the Twitch party at literally, you know, four in the morning and it's bright out because you're in Sweden. And when it's summer, the sun never goes down. And they were singing Russian drinking songs and teaching them to me, but I could not learn them. But if I ever stopped singing, that was a problem. So I just like I, I just have a hilarious me- me- like memory of like blurry just cigarettes and singing russian uh russian drinking songs or or attempting to. That, that that's is
0: hilarious. My, oh my yeah. god, yeah. Oh. I I can only imagine that that would have been been kind of crazy. So, just a little nerve wracking Yeah, a little ner- like <laughs> yeah. it's only like I don't know, like, how many, like, lifespans of this company could be literally dictated on whether or not you can sing Russian drinking songs. What a way to decide Twitch. Yeah. What a way. Um. One of the interesting things that you mentioned is that you made a platform that was originally primary just for gaming, which, if you look at Twitch nowadays, I think is a very interesting concept, because if you look at, like, one of the biggest categories that came up on Twitch, it would be, like, just chatting or... Mm -hmm. Uh, the music categories um do you think that it was a necessity that you went for gaming or do you think uh maybe that there was some flaw there in the that you could have also probably opened it up to like just chatting and stuff like that i don't know how much of that is a a proponent of the times well we
1: you know we've come full circle now twitch is all the way back to justin tv and you know it's open to everything but um I mean, there's a couple things, and I feel comfortable saying these things because I I think the tw- the Twitch founders have said them publicly on numerous occasions. But um, back back in the Justin TV days, Justin TV was known for some not so kosher things. Mm-hmm. It was where people went to watch NBA games and NFL games yeah. and pay per view MMA games, and that was one of the main thing or where you went to go watch 24/7 Simpsons reruns that was one of the main things people use Justin TV for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that presented branding issues and legal yeah. issues as well. So um, I think the company, and again, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before. So you can go look up interviews from Emmett Shear as well as Michael Seibel from the time. I think they've talked about this kind of stuff in, in detail, but like they were going through like the, Oh shit, we got to pivot because our current business is in threat of legal action. And It's just not above board what we're doing essentially. Uh, So they, at the time they were experimenting with multiple different pivots. You know, Instagram was brand new at the time. (laughs) So they're basically like, can we make Instagram, but for video? So just super simple video app, which ended up becoming an app called social cam. Um, At the same time, they were like, let's go try to see if gaming will grow because it was growing organically. And they're just like, let's go try it and see what happens. Um, So um i know i'm kind of rambling i don't even no, you're remember good. the beginning of this question but uh yeah that was kind of you know they they had they decided they had to pivot and we we chose those one of those yeah. two directions
0: now, th- my question was originally like um uh, knowing that how just chatting has now reappeared yeah. on there um was there a yeah. time there where you guys just joined uh gaming or like th- was there considerations of actually just making it so it would be other things too so which you do pretty well yeah. like
1: yeah Uh, yeah uh, absolutely yeah i mean it was it was the startup you know mentality this part of the company is growing let's just pour every ounce of resources into that aspect of the company and that's that's what he did yeah
0: Yeah, that's one of the things you kind of mention is like oh these these things are going bad or there might be uh, legal actions here so we have to like get away from that (laughs) i feel like that's actually more common like when i think about esports teams that was another thing that was also kind of very common is that didn't do things that were always the greatest, but I feel like that's just a startup thing because you don't have yeah. the resources to actually, like as as crappy as it sounds, you don't actually have the resources to do everything necessarily the way that it should be done. And then as you get more resources, you start to implement those things, which isn't necessarily good, but I feel like that's kind of just a, a way that it, it works with startups in general. Would that be a correct assessment?
1: Yeah, um, run lean, run scrappy, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Yeah. Um, All the cliches, yeah, very true.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. It was very interesting because, like, uh, I've heard it, like, you kind of mentioned it here, and then esports, I remember, like, hearing stories about, like, all of these different things that broke up because I was always into the competitive side. Um, That is what I really uh, was interested in. But you'd see a lot of the same things that would kind of just happen. So I think it's very interesting. So kind of going into the uh, Justin TV days, What's it like the day where you guys have decimated Own3D? Uh, man, that must have been it, a party, right? Like, there must have been like champagne nah. bottles popping up. Oh, <laughs> imagine like Wolf on Wall Street here, where everyone's yeah. just like bringing champagne bottles on there, spraying it everywhere. What was that day like? Way less cocaine than Wolf
1: on <laughs> Wall Street. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I don't recall any, actually, I will say, but oh, it was a party for sure. I mean, we were in bitter uh, warfare with yeah. them. Um, it was actually really close for a long time. It was close from the outside's perspective, but again, we had the servers. Yeah, they did not. So their costs were ten times more than ours. So um, from a from an economical perspective, maybe it wasn't. But we were in bitter warfare, and this this was the beginning. I think you called it the content wars, and that yeah. or, or and that's exactly what it was because before this point. Streamers would just stream on whatever platform they liked the most, yeah. even the big ones. And then suddenly, own three D is paying a ton of money, which meant that Twitch had to pay a ton of money. Um, of course, now that's literally pocket change compared to what's happening between YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, ten cents platforms, etc. But um, yeah, it, w- it was a party. It was also kind of s- like I almost I almost felt a little bit bad because we knew that their costs were just outrageous, <laughs> and we knew that it was not sustainable. Um, and you know, throughout this entire time, people just kept saying, oh, Twitch doesn't have any competitors. Twitch is a monopoly. I'm like, no, we we had to fight tooth and nail. And it really wasn't, it, it wasn't going in a sustainable direction. Like the amount of money that Own3D was paying streamers was never sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were, you know, they were going for probably that similar sort of startup thing. Let's go get the scale. Let's go get the audience. And then we can just raise money in the future. But that doesn't always work out.
0: yeah yeah i mean i i i uh, yeah i imagine that you both were kind of on this similar idea you just you just did it better like i feel like one of you would have closed down i don't know if there was ever a solution like nowadays obviously um the the kind yeah. of weird content which i'm going to ask you if you think that's a correct approach in a minute here but we kind of have a similar thing where you have all of these different companies <laughs> are doing it's just these companies have so much fucking money to that they could just do like almost yeah. almost i mean we saw a mixer finally um at least close down where Facebook has taken them over, so that's maybe one, um, or they're just decide, waiting and deciding to do something else later on, uh, who knows? Um, I, I'd i be very surprised, They I think they merged though. Um, so, I mean, in, but you basically have a content war happening now, uh, just it's so much money that it's insane. Back then, you didn't have that amount of money yeah. to go, what seems like infinitely, because uh, I feel <laughs> like right now, YouTube, Amazon, they can pretty much just spend money how they want, and I I don't know if there's ever an yeah. end to it because um, it's just yeah. so much. So it's kind of it's, it's Facebook crazy. too. Yeah. I mean, if
1: you think about it, we are in in unprecedented, completely insane time. Not just for Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Tencent, yeah. everyone else. Uh, Brazil, there's Brazilian Twitch competitors, uh, but just content in general. I mean, Hulu, NBC, yeah. Netflix, HBO. Uh it's it's crazy. It's a good time to be creating stuff.
0: It is. It is. It is a very good time. So uh, kind of uh, going into that, do you think you guys took the approach of buying content creators like a long time ago? That's kind of what you see happening now. Is that the correct approach because it feels like they're just doing an old idea? And that's what it kind of feels like. Um and especially when they go for like uh Twitch people uh or like streamers in general, it feels that way. Um I could understand if they're going for like stuff outside of I would say the like our internet um, content creation so like when they go for um, maybe musicians or stuff like that that makes a lot of sense because they might be bringing new eyes that aren't in the same scene but um, do you think that this approach of like buying streamers is the way that uh, these platforms should be doing it
1: well I mean it's you can't really uh, put the toothpaste back in the tube yeah at a certain point I mean um, it's I know you already said it, but I'll be a broken record and repeat it. You've literally got Amazon, Google, Facebook, up until a few months ago, Microsoft, yeah, all competing. like Literally the biggest tech companies in the US, plus Tencent, yeah. which is one of the most gigantic companies in China, all going after the same market. So can you go back? I don't think so. I mean, I I don't think... YouTube is ever going to kill Twitch. I don't think Twitch is ever going to kill YouTube. They're going to keep competing. So, um, the the question is, does it make sense for smaller companies to actually try and do this? If you don't have the backing of a trillion dollar company and that's when that's, that was, you know, Azubu went down this path on 3d went down this path, um, of paying outrageous fees when they couldn't even make any money. Um, Today, you look around. It's like, what's caffeine? Like, what's caffeine's, you know, end game? they They're, they're spending a dollars for content as well. Uh, so, I mean, if you're Google, it makes sense. You know, you're you're bringing more people into the ecosystem. You have a great sales team. You're making billions and billions and billions in revenue on advertising. Uh, you're billions on people's data. Yeah. So that makes sense. But uh, for the if you don't have infinite resources, it becomes a little harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense. So you go into uh, Twitch. Uh, you, you get through that. You get through the 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 content war days. Um, I imagine that uh, Twitch being bought by Amazon was probably another very historic event uh, in that time frame there that happened to you. What was that like them buying? Did you know about it? Is it something that one day everyone came out like, hey, guess what? We're getting bought by Amazon. Um, well, it,
1: it was about... <sighs> I can't remember the exact timeline, but I think it was about two to three weeks before the Amazon buyout that the rumors started swirling of uh, Google and, and YouTube um, buying us out. And, you know, at the time I was like, I was really young when when I first started working at Twitch. I didn't know what a stock option was really uh, at the time. But I was like, I, I was starting to get this feeling in my stomach. Like I was supposed to get more stock last year. like. I got to go push on this because I I, they, I was supposed to get a little bit more equity in this company and I haven't gotten it yet. And I started like banging on doors. I'm like, I, I was told this and like multiple times by my manager, blah, blah, blah. Cause I got this feeling like we're doing really, really well right now. And this is something that's going to happen. It's an inevitability, either that or we go public. Um, so then the the Google rumor started swirling and it was like, okay, it's really happening. Um, and no, I was not senior enough at the time to, to be part of any of those conversations. Uh, but you know, ever since, you know, after the Google rumors, it was like, okay, it's going to happen. And then, and then it came out that it was Amazon, which to me was like a bit of a surprise. Cause you don't think of Amazon as yeah. a media type business at the time, especially yeah, this, no.
0: they didn't have Amazon prime. They didn't have yep. a, a video or anything right. like that. They didn't have any of that.
1: Yeah, um now now advertising is one of the fastest growing segments in in, in Amazon if you look at their uh, corporate reports. Um so yeah, no, it was incredible. I mean, like seriously, I feel so lucky to have had this journey because esports was a lifelong passion for me. Yeah. And it was something I was doing with all of my free time on the weekends after school when I was in college. Um, I was traveling to events on my own dime. I loved esports, And then not only did I get to give a career with a decent living, but all of a sudden it was like, Oh, cha-ching. Like we just cashed out. Like it's not even just a decent living now. Like this is a very substantial amount of money yeah. for anyone. Um, so even though I didn't have as much equity as I would have liked, uh, and that ended up being very, very good. So yeah, it was amazing.
0: So you get, uh, you guys get bought out by Amazon and you're working for Amazon. Is there like any fear that like, oh God, this big corporate company is coming in here. They're going to to change everything, uh, which I mean, I guess probably eventually did happen um, looking back now in hindsight. But I mean, at the time, was there any fear? Was it, oh my God, I'm so excited that we're now owned by this huge corporate uh, company that is huge. Like what was what was the thoughts?
1: Oh, it, it was mainly excitement. I mean, for sure, um, you know, there of course, everyone says like after the buyout, just, you know, be careful. It's going to change. And that's true, but um, it did change. Uh, but it was never like, and it probably never is like this actually, I don't know. Maybe sometimes it is like this, but it was never like, okay, Amazon bought us change. Yeah. Um, it was much slower, much more subtle <clears throat> and, um, and, and ramped up over time. But um, you know, in the first year or two, The only major thing is we got Twitch Prime, which is like, okay, now it's even easier for us to go get streamers because they have this crazy new revenue stream, uh, which was amazing.
0: Yeah. Uh one of the things you kind of mentioned is that you had some equity there. One of the things I'm pretty sure this is you, if I found it. If it's wrong, I will admit it. Uh, you definitely are more into stocks now, because um, I feel like I found some of your posts to. Uh, oh, God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So I don't know if you, uh, I've actually, I've, been, like, over the last two years, I've also gotten into stocks. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny because I'm pretty sure the Google algorithm when I was like looking up things on you was like, oh, Blake likes stocks. Here's an old post from uh, what is it? Stock tweets. Is that what it's called? Stock tweets. Stock yeah. tweets. Yeah, I found stock tweets.
1: You... Oh, God, it's the biggest. It's Wall Street bets, but for any individual stock, you just go there and yeah, people, it's just a waste of time. But if, if I'm ever like I, I'm like a, the world's biggest Nintendo fanboy. <laughs> uh full disclosure, have a fair amount of Nintendo stock. And I'm always just like talking about, because there's a bunch of other analysts on there. Yes, I am a little obsessed with with, okay. with
0: stocks. When did that, was that after this, where you have this amount of equity that you're like, oh, hey, maybe I should probably start to learn about this? Or had you started to learn about it earlier? Because it's a very um, odd thing that I don't know if a lot of people know about you.
1: Uh yeah, I mean, I uh, Nintendo is the first <laughs> stock I ever bought, I think, um, before Pokemon Go. So that hmm. one did pretty good for me. Yeah um i wouldn't say it's like a big thing uh it's just it's more of like a distraction i wake up in the morning and i check my portfolio and then i just like look at news for like 20 minutes and then i get on with my day uh it's a waste of time i shouldn't even be spending that much time on it let's be honest
0: (laughs) oh i i wake up every i'm actually trying to learn how to do like day trading stuff so like for me it's like i'm like i'm looking at like charts and stuff like that um, like every morning and like I'm actually trying to I'm not going to put any money till I feel like I actually know what I'm doing. But like it's I found it hilariously funny because I feel like stocks are actually very confusing for um, most people. So I wasn't sure like how good of a stock guru is uh, Ben Goldhaber. Um, maybe we need to take his advice there.
1: <laughs> well, the best advice is the most boring advice, which you'll hear everywhere. If you if you listen to the right people, which is just go buy an index fund and never look at it. Just keep putting money into an index yep. fund. That's it. Uh, I'd probably, I've never really compared like all of my portfolio performance, but I'm sure I would have done better if that's what, if that's
0: yeah. all I did. Yeah. Index funds yeah. do pretty well. Um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> continuing onwards, besides that little side yeah. tangent that I uh, conveniently found there, um, <laughs> you're working through Twitch, and you, Twitch um, and you do a lot of different uh, kind of like jobs at Twitch or a couple different. Yeah. You were uh, a senior manager of partnerships. Um, for leagues and events, and then you were also director of content marketing, um, mm-hmm. which is very, I would say, similar but different jobs. Um, so, being the senior yeah. manager of partnership, uh, what were you mostly doing at that time? Was that like getting all of the, the your League of Legends tournaments and all of that stuff, making sure that they were featured on, like, Twitch?
1: Yeah, that was the best best job ever for me because. I love traveling. I love esports. I love all esports. Yeah. Uh, and in this job, I got to travel to dozens and dozens and dozens of tournaments. Uh, I went to Sweden twice a year every year for both Dream Hacks. I went to Cologne, Germany for Gamescom practically every year. I got to go to Tokyo, Seoul. Uh, I got to go to Valencia, Spain, Seattle for PAX. Uh, uh, Boston for PAX East. Uh, I got, you know, Las Vegas for Evo every year. That was the best time for me at Twitch. I was so happy because my job was relationships. I was managing the relationships with all these major leagues and tournaments on the platform, um, which I love, you know, I, I like to consider myself a people person and I thought I was pretty good at it. Um, so yeah, I got to rub shoulders with executives across the industry Take them out to fancy dinners, travel the world. It was it was a dream job. Sounds like a amazing. pretty. It was pretty hard. Good job. It was hard work too. I also whenever anything went wrong, and at the time shit went wrong all the time because our servers sucked. Uh, I was the one who had to deal with that. But you know, it was amazing.
0: That's fair. So these, uh, uh, almost like doing these partnerships with like these league events. I imagine it wasn't to the scale it is now because we saw like YouTube and Facebook who are just buying out like. Uh, overwatch where they're like, oh we're gonna you're gonna be exclusive like ex- ex- exclusivity God, that's a hard word to say. Um, I don't was that even a thing then? Was that something you even had to worry about? I mean it, it, it was.
1: I mean oh, you know all the way back to the own 3d days, there was competition for broadcast rights for ESL, mm-hmm. for Dreamhack, for pretty much all of the big events. <laughs> but it was a completely different <laughs> ball game. I mean, at the time it was like we'll give you a higher CPM. Or, like, we'll give you a better percentage split on subscriber revenue. Okay. Uh, I think at times, sometimes for the bigger tournaments, there was straight-up cash. But, uh, no, it wasn't like like it is today.
0: Did you ever think that it would get to the point that it is today? Like, is that something that you can even feasibly imagine?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I've always been a believer in esports. Always. So when it was growing, you know, 50% every year, growing from 50 million global fans to, you know, 80 million to 140, I didn't think that was going to slow down anytime soon. So um, I I distinctly remember like one of my earliest esports memories is like way back in 2010 um, at World Cyber Games, Los Angeles. Uh, I got there and it was really the first time I got to meet People who became really close friends—Rivington, um, yeah. Seltzer, uh, her boyfriend Torch, uh, DJ Wheat, Marcus, Scoot, Slasher—I became really close friends with them uh, over the years and really got to know them at this event. And I remember Trevor, Rachel's Seltzer's boyfriend, had just come back from Korea. Um, he literally—he was carrying his backpack from the airport when oh. he got there, and he—he he was competing. He was out there competing in the GSL, and he's just like. There's stadiums and oh, it's gonna it's gonna be like this in the U.S. and we're like we're all like 21 years old. We're all you know, we're all all about the same age. Not Marcus and and Scoots yeah. obviously, but yeah. the rest of us are all about the same age and we're just like bright eyed and optimistic about the future. And I think Marcus was like. Come on, everyone gets that way after, like, after they come back from Korea. But we're like, no, man, no, man, this is the future. Um, so I've always believed that we we're going to fill stadiums and it was going to be this big.
0: Mm-hmm, which I mean, it has. So I mean, good on you. Uh, the 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 rose colored glasses turned out to be true, which is good. One of the things, though, I will say about your uh, your optimistic attitude, and this is something I've seen you kind of bring up a little bit before uh, when people talk about the esports bubble, um, as people Ooh. like to talk about. And I. I don't know if you've ever called it that but i know you've said that there could be corrections um but i don't know if you've ever really stated your opinion whether or not you think that there is some sort of bubble um or not because i mean it's uh, looking at overwatch league now um comparative to like when you first saw the numbers uh, it probably is not as positive um i would think as when it first happened especially when you see the the different fundings that came in um what do you think now do you think that there is a realistic thing of uh, a bubble is there a correction kind of assumes that there's it is overinflated uh but not necessarily a bubble i guess so where do you stand there especially with with a company that is doing aggregation for all these events i imagine that that's something that's got to be uh terrifying
1: yeah well, I think when you say bubble, it kind of insinuates that a collapse would be like 50% of the industry just goes away, or like the value goes by, down by 50%. I don't think that that's going to happen. I'm extremely confident, in fact, that um, there's tons of tons more upside to be had in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, when people talk about, oh, nobody's making any money, the average esports fan only puts five bucks back into the ecosystem that is equally as big of a problem as it is an opportunity for hopefully some someone like juke to help solve that problem. Um, that's one of our aspirations is to drive more revenue for everyone through the value chain. Um, and and hopefully find ways to do that by getting revenue from the actual people who are fans of esports, not just the, the sponsors and just the advertisers. Um, but obviously there are issues. I mean, um, the most obvious that you can point to is Overwatch League and potentially Call of Duty League. Although this last season seemed to do much better I, than I, everyone expected. I have a lot
0: more hope for Call of Duty. The yeah. thing I've always said about Call of Duty League is if you look at like any one of those uh, like players, they're all content creators. Like first, who are now yeah. playing Call of Duty, which is very different than Overwatch. Like if you look like some other yeah. like social outreach, it's insane how much yeah, each yeah. player has for social outreach. Oh yeah,
1: it's crazy. Like two million followers on yeah. Twitter and shit. Um, but I mean, it's easy to look at the franchising models as the biggest risk right now. Obviously, we've never seen anything like it. Yep. Twenty-five million dollars for a slot is insane, uh, probably overvalued. Uh, but the first, the teams who bought in the first season of Overwatch League for twenty million dollars, their their slots went up to thirty million dollars or thirty-five million dollars the next season. So the question is, what's going to happen next <laughs> next year for Overwatch League? So obviously, I'm concerned. Like I'm an, I'm still an Overwatch fan. Even after all of the all of the shit with the game being terribly balanced and metas being terrible and stale for way 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 too long and probably still not that good, I'm still an Overwatch fan. I'm still optimistic, as, as just in my nature. But yeah. yeah, there are concerns. And then you look at Counter Strike and player salaries are in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Buyouts yeah. are in the millions. Um, is that sustainable? Are the teams actually making back that money off those players? or is it being fueled by venture capital? More yeah. likely it's the second half. But the but the thing is, if you look at technology and you look at venture capital in general, you're, t- you're looking at the 10 to 20 year horizon. You're not looking at next year. So I think if you're building towards a 10 to 20 year vision, then esports is gonna be fine. Esports okay. is gonna be way bigger than it is today. And those teams that are, you know, taking in tons of venture capital, you know, maybe not all of them will survive, but some of them are going to be big winners, and that's that's how it goes in tech. You know, some you're going to get some big winners, and then the rest are going to die, and that's yeah. just how it goes. Um, so uh, that was my rambling. I mean,
0: that makes sense. That makes response. sense. So an interesting thought that I had. Um, actually, I want to I want to go this. So I want to ask another question first. I'm gonna. This is a really exciting question that I thought of. That I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna hold it for. Okay. minute. Uh, okay. So you were the director of content for Twitch. Um, yeah. What did that include? Because um, obviously Twitch eventually went on to actually do a lot of their own, uh, like at least put on their own broadcasts. Were you part of some of that? Because um, I know that's what yeah. uh, DJ Wheat actually did a lot of too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so one thing I didn't mention about my roles previously at Twitch is. My team always ran Twitch's social media mm-hmm. and r- wrote our weekly newsletter. Oh, okay. Um, for the entire time that I was at Twitch, I wrote our, I created our blog in 2011, and I created our social media channels and and mm-hmm. essentially ran them uh, myself or with a small team. Um, so when you know when I actually ended up transitioning into this new content director of content manager uh, marketing role, it was okay. We really need to take these things more seriously. We need to hire up. We need because I was also running the front page content curation okay. um, during that entire period as well. So it was getting all these things together were getting so big that I could no longer manage it and do my other job. So I basically had the opportunity, okay, I get a director title, I can hire a couple more people, I can actually focus on this and do this full time. So as director of content marketing, it's funny because the this is five years into my time at Twitch, you know, even after the Amazon acquisition, but this role was still very startupy in nature because yeah. we did a bunch of random shit. We did front page of Twitch, weekly newsletter, blog, social media, and we also did Twitch's original content. So, um, Twitch weekly was the the first show that we ever produced as a company. And that was literally myself and Brandon, AKA Atrioc, um, who, who was, uh, 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 awesome dude who's on my team at the time. We're just like, we're writing this newsletter every week. That's like, here's what to watch. Let's just do a stream of here's what to watch. Um, And I think our first version, we shot with a laptop in the computer room uh, at Twitch with a blue Yeti. And it sounded like shit and it looked like shit. And the camera was like crotch level, just facing our crotches. Um, But we just wanted to do it. Um, So we did. And then that, that ended up becoming Twitch's flagship show. So yeah, did, Worked a ton with Marcus uh, for many many years on original content. Yeah,
0: he's a very interesting dude. I had uh, I oh, did yeah. I did one of these with him. So yep, it was, yeah, uh, I, d-
1: I saw that. I saw that. It was
0: uh, it was good. I didn't know he was uh, almost arrested by the FBI, which was probably <laughs> yeah. the most interesting thing. Um, so <laughs> yeah. uh, looking at doing this content, what was your plans growing content for Twitch? Was it looking to make it like a full TV broadcast? What were the like thoughts when you were working there? That is like maybe the eventual goal that we could see for Twitch going in the future.
1: I mean, I don't think it was ever going to be a big part of Twitch's business. I mean, Twitch is a tech company through and through. It's a platform that anyone can use. So it was never going to be a media business. But what it did provide was community management. I mean, we, our most dedicated fans and most dedicated brand evangelists were in that stream every single week. Mm -hmm. The people that wanted to test out every new feature and that we could use to like dog food different products. We actually used Twitch Weekly to dog food a bunch of different products. like closed captioning and, and all kinds of other things um, so I don't think I ever really had aspirations of like let's go launch like 20 shows but we did want to want we did want to launch more shows you know eventually Capcom Pro talk which Adam Contini, one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life, hilarious dude, produced that show. And it was amazing. And that was because we had a studio for Twitch Weekly. Mm-hmm. We were able to do that. Then, of course, the Twitch sales team was like, oh, we can do things. We can fly streamers into our audience and or into our office and produce a show around that. Uh, so it did ev- eventually end up evolving into something much bigger than just yeah. Twitch Weekly. But um, I, I didn't have big plans. It was just like, I just want to do this thing. So mm-hmm. we just did it. Yeah.
0: Now going through Twitch, obviously they did some layoffs and you were one of the people that they laid off. Um did you know that that was coming? Was that something that you were aware of? Was there like hey, I have time to prep anything like that?
1: No, not at all. No. Um I never in a million years would have ever expected that my role would have been on the chopping block. Um for for Twitch. Um you know, I think I mean, there's a lot of backstory, obviously, but my role did eventually change. I was going, I was in the midst of transferring into a new role that was going to be esports focused where uh, I was going to be essentially esports content manager, just, you know, organizing all of the esports content on the platform and even potentially building something that would aggregate esports content and do a bit of curation. That was what I was transitioning to. We had just hired a new person who, um, who I, transition to managing to that person. And we're just in about maybe two to three months into building out this new role, this new concept. Um, So I think if there's one thing that I would say to everyone working in a corporate environment is um, definitely you should be cognizant of how critical your role is and maintaining a role that has like direct ties to revenue or direct ties to something like that. Because I mean everyone was like, Oh, this is going to be awesome. You've always wanted to do this, Ben. Let's do this. Let's go. Like you're going to run wild and this is going to be great. We're going to get you budget. And I was super excited about it. And then, uh, out of the blue, I got a meeting invite from, uh, um, the new like VP of content, uh, Mike. And I'm like, I haven't talked to Mike in like six months. What is this? And that morning, actually, as I was leaving for the office, I was like, I was talking to my girlfriend. I'm like, Hmm. maybe I wonder if I'm going to about to get laid off. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen, but I'm like, this is a weird meeting. And I got to the office that morning and pretty much like half of Marcus's team, which was really the team that got hit by these layoffs by far the most was outside the office, smoking cigarettes. None of them smoke cigarettes.
0: Okay. That's <laughs> a, that's I was, a, that's and I a bad was just sign. like,
1: I was just like, Oh shit. Um, and I didn't say anything. They looked I just walked up and yeah, went in and yeah, they 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 said, "Uh, please leave. Um your stuff it your we'll put your stuff together. Don't go to your desk. We're going to package it up for you. You're going to be escorted out of the office now." And
0: what the hell? That is one Yeah.
1: That's how it went down. Um for all of us and you know, it's not like it was like the worst layoff ever. Like there was a, there was severance offered B I had two months to try and find another role at Twitch and I could stay on if I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was insane. I mean, I, when I joined the company, it was like 22 people. And by the time I got laid off, it was like 1700 um, and definitely played some super critical roles throughout, throughout my time at Twitch. Helping to acquire content creators, build the brand, launch shows, even tied to revenue, helped drive millions in additional revenue. Th- you know through partnerships and things like that. So yeah, it was. It was.
0: Were, were you intense. jaded? I feel like I would be jaded. I would be so. J- <laughs> this thing that I had spent my life building up, uh, and then all of a sudden, them just throw me out the door. I would be so jaded.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I guess I'm just that I'm like. Um, almost too positive as a, of a person. Cause of course it it sucked yeah. ass. And I was I was pissed. And I was pissed for myself, but I was also pissed for a lot of the other people that got laid off. Not all of them had as good of a severance package as me. I mean, I had been with the company for seven years. Yeah. Um, so it, it definitely scales up uh the longer you'd been there. Um but you know, for me it was it was a terrible experience. Don't wish that upon anyone, but uh, for me, um, it never never hurt my you know yeah. uh, passion for esports.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could I could see that. Uh, question for you: You have said in interviews that you would try to to throw the idea of what Juked is now, or doing a con- a content aggregator towards Twitch before. Um, why wouldn't they pick it up? Because that seems like something that just would benefit them completely on yeah. their platform.
1: Well, I think, again, it comes down to it is a it is a tech platform. Mm. Um, anything that resembles editorial, manual curation, uh, original media, it kind of goes counter to the tech platform, everything about yeah. that. I mean, look at YouTube. Is there any manual curation on YouTube? No. no. I mean, there's like music and gaming and yeah. news And for some reason, those are the only categories they even have on the platform. The rest is all algorithm-based. And I think it's essentially the same reason for both companies. You know, neither company, it doesn't make sense. You know, YouTube can't create an esports hub because then they have to create a music hub and an art hub and a news hub and, like, they have to do all this other stuff. So um, I think it's a philosophical reason.
0: Okay, that that makes a lot of sense, uh, kind of going through that. Um, Yeah. I, I don't ah God. It just seems like they could be more, especially considering that they're owned by Amazon now. It feels like they're more than just <laughs> just that anyways. Like they branched into all these other things they and uh like creating content now. Like they Amazon is now got a content section, right? Like they do uh Amazon video and they actually get their own shows and they pay for them now and they have exclusive Amazon shows. So it's just weird that uh that, that didn't happen. Now, one of the cool things that I thought was very interesting is that you actually had some team offers, supposedly, um, after leaving Twitch. There was a lot of different offers. Where were you, where, what types of things were you looking at doing? Um, when you mentioned doing team stuff, would it have been like the comp- competitive esports? Would it have been content creation? Would it have been marketing? What kind of stuff uh, were, was floating your boat?
1: Yeah, um, I had a really awesome offer um, for a C-level title at one of the top team i mean i would say tier two team i won't i won't i'm not going to give any more hits than that um not not like cloud nine um but you know one of the top teams uh was looking to really hire leadership and it was a super attractive offer um but ultimately um you know i just wanted to pursue this this idea um you know i wanted first of all before that, I, I just wanted to work with cool people that I liked a lot. And yeah. I just didn't get the right feeling um, talking to the owners of this other team. It just didn't feel right to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was talking to them. I was talking to another major gaming company. Um, <clears throat> before the Twitch layoffs, um, way before Overwatch League launched, I, I was actually offered a, a role to uh, Help! Help! Run Overwatch League, which I always think back like, holy shit! Like, what if I actually took that? It would have been, it would have been crazy. Um,
0: what What would you have been doing for Overwatch League?
1: I mean, uh, I never got a formal offer, but I was really cl- like pretty buddy buddy with Nate Nanzer at the time, and uh, I got brought into one of the first ever Overwatch League presentations way before the league existed. It was like, we're gonna do franchising and we're going to do this draft system which ended up being too complex f- yeah. for legal reasons to actually implement and I, I was i mean i i was an overwatch player like i hosted the first overwatch tournament ever mm-hmm. like literally of all time um and overwatch was my jam so um you know i had the golden handcuffs though amazon stock man i couldn't i that's, couldn't let the let that. Fair. yeah i couldn't that's let fair. that go
0: um, yeah. I mean, it's almost like you were freed from the handcuffs when they when they let you off because you probably would you have ever left Twitch if they wouldn't have laid you off? I don't know if you would have. Um, hard to say. I mean,
1: I think after my last tranche of stock w- finished vesting, it would be a little bit easier to justify. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think I think I probably would have eventually Um, mainly because it just. It started to feel like I was spinning my wheels there. Um, like one thing, one of the most frustrating—I I had a couple insanely frustrating things happen in my career there. Um, one of which was um, the, the the head of marketing at the time uh, transferred one of my direct reports to another team without even telling me. Without even—I learned when he emailed the entire department that this was happening, and it actually ended up being a disaster. Like. The the person who was transferred didn't really want to be transferred. He ended up leaving the company six months later. He was doing awesome stuff on my team. The guy who actually, who was the manager of the person that was on my team ended up getting fired later because he was not doing a good job. And like, and I I basically was like, this is insane. You cannot just take my employee who's doing really mission critical stuff and transfer him to another team. Yeah. Eventually I ended up going all the way to upper management being like, I need to resolve this. There needs to be some kind of resolution here. And the advice I got was, you should go read this book on crisis or on on, on negotiation or like on like, I forget, I forget what it was. It was just like, <laughs> go read this book about how to like work with people better. And I'm like, you have got to be shitting me. Um, and then later in my career, um, I got headcount for a new hire approved mm-hmm went through the interview process super painful talking to dozens and dozens of people sending them to the office only to find somebody we loved and say okay let's send the offer and then oh sorry your head got got transferred to engineering that happened twice in a year oh my god twice. and this was pretty near the end when before i got laid off I mean, so like is this
0: what happens yeah. to all corporations when they get so big because that's what like those are horror stories that you kind of just yeah. hear so there comes a point with any company where as you start to get bigger, you're kind of destined for these issues. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think, you know, like a lot of the people who got laid off were, were like me, um, who had been with the company for six, five, six, seven years. And I think at a certain point, like, uh, if you're owned by a major corporation publicly traded, you're like a thousand people, 2000 people. There's a certain point where like your seniority isn't what matters. They're looking for someone with a, you know, to come in and clean house and like yep. rebuild things. And they don't, they almost want to clean the old, old, uh, uh
0: like the wood, old guard out, old yeah, guard yeah, out. Like clear, it, it, yeah, exactly. all the old ideas or people associated with old things that are no longer relevant. Yeah. yeah. I mean that, that's awful, but it kind of makes a little bit of sense for Juke, Do you ever foresee yourself being a company that gets that big? Is that like on the dreams there of like, I want this company to be a, a, a huge multinational tech company. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, for us, we're much more of a media yeah. company right now. Um, you know, aspects of Juke are, are tech oriented. You know, we don't we don't see ourselves as a pure media play. But if you look at our our content offering, our original content, what just what the product does, it resembles a lot more of ESPN yeah. or Bleach Report than it does of Twitch. So um, it'll be different. Uh, but our goal is to become a media empire and really push the esports industry forward. So we're four people right now. Hopefully, we're 400 in a couple of years. Do uh, you? Hope.
0: I, I have to ask you a question because this is something that I, I've been saving on. Do you worry that there's going to be a day where someone, because uh, right now you don't really have competition? Uh, I would say that does it as well as you do, uh, which I feel like is how a lot of things kind of start up um, as far as like esports specifically. Um, But are you ever worried that, oh, hey, maybe Amazon might actually like this idea and will either try to buy you out or compete? Because if if Amazon competes, I I, I think you're screwed. Okay, I'm going to say it. (laughs) I think if Amazon decides that they want to do something like this, or if Google decides that they want to do something like this, you are in a very bad spot uh, just because of the amount of money that they have. I mean, it might just be easier for them to buy you, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Believe me, uh, you and every investor I've ever talked to share that same concern. Um, But for us, first of all, we have a massive head start. We're supporting 35 games. No one else is supporting 35 games. We're crazy. Um, Our features are pretty good, um, and only getting better. But I think for us, we're around the corner from launching a bit more interactive side of juked, um, where you're going to actually have a social profile and there's going to be gamification aspects where you'll be competing against other people to predict winners for matches. And I think the more and more we start to build that side of the product, the more and more defensible we we get, uh, because if there's a network effect where you want to be on juked, because that's where the big pickums brackets are happening for League of Legends and CSGO and Dota 2. And that's where all of your friends are watching and you have like watch parties and things like that, that Mm -hmm. viral effect. Those are the things that we really need to tap into to build a defensible product. I think the other aspect to building a defensible product for a media company is our content. Um, So we've only just started to write our own original content on the platform over the last month. Uh, And in the near future, we also plan to launch shows uh, and, and video content as well. And that, I mean, you know, uh, is, is the athletic, like the athletic, are, are you familiar with the
0: athletic? Not, not really, not really, but okay, I, so, I kind of understand what you guys are going yeah. for.
1: Yeah. They went out and they hired all the best journalists, mm-hmm. all of the best journalists, and you have to pay to use their platform. It's, there's no free product, but they're defensible because they got the the best creators. Yeah. They've built this brand. They've built this reputation. Um, so you know, I think we can do that too. Um, yeah. And you know, there's there's so there's a number of ways that we think we're building a defensible product um, through brand. I, I through, saw
0: some of the monetization yeah. that you guys were doing because that was when I was originally looking at interviewing you and looking at Juked. I was like, well, how are they going to monetize this? Because if they're just going with ad revenue, I'm very terrified for them. But then I saw some yeah. of the some of the stuff with, um, and I'm no marketing genius at all. Um, but like some of the stuff with like the, the subscription and like the 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 fantasy football and I was like, oh, this stuff is very interesting. And then I was gonna ask you, like on the horizon for your guys' own planned content, which you've kind of already said that you guys are planning on, what does that horizon look like? What type of content is Juke going to be doing in the future or planning on doing in the future?
1: Yeah. Um, so my my co founder, Chris, also known as Chan Man V. Yep. Uh he created literally like 10 different esports talk shows and podcasts over the last eight years he did starcraft he did hearthstone he did two overwatch shows he's done like more casual shows he's created some of the most popular esports talk shows ever Mm -hmm. um i was a co-host on twitch weekly and created that show so Think talking heads. Um, you know, we've seen so many esports shows where it's just a bunch of it. You know, look like looks like this show. It's it's people in in yeah. with their webcams in boxes. Um, so we'd like to take it up a notch from that. But I mean, I still think. And I was listening to your interview with Monty, and he said the same thing. But I still think ever since Live on Three went away, where what is the esports yeah. show? Where yeah, who is producing the esports show? Um, and this is like a topic we could talk about forever because 80% of people in esports that I talk to are like, ah, it doesn't need to exist. A CSGO fan doesn't give a shit about League of Legends. Who cares? It's not going to work. I don't know where you fall on this, Uh, but. I
0: I like, I like all the content and actually off air, I might talk with you some some of the ideas (laughs) that um, I'm actually trying to work on. Um, But because I've, The whole thing that I did with this show, and I don't have, like, I can tell you what I imagine this show to be in, like, the future, because I don't, like, like, right now it is. It's just, it's kind of talking boxes, talking heads. But where I eventually see this show is, uh, like, B-roll, and I see different things, and uh, it's, like, almost like those old uh, bio-interviews with like different music. And that's where I would like to see the show go, right? Is like that level yeah. of production. And I'm so Great. disappointed that all of these areas that actually do have the means for this production are too lazy or too uh, dumb to be doing this kind of stuff. That's, I, I agree. Yeah. I think that the content production, generally speaking, is very sad um, yeah. for, for yeah. eSports.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, there's so little storylines being told right now, it's frustrating as hell. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm a friend. I'm, I'm good friends with Christopher Monty and, yep. and Susie, and so I don't want to toot his horn too much. But like, I was watching the 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 Pop Flash Valerie tournament, and they did this biop like all these biopics on these different players, and it's yeah. like, oh, I have been craving this like actual storytelling in esports. It's so rare. Dota Two Ti does it. Some of the better CS:GO majors have done it. Like, otherwise other than that, you don't you don't ever yeah. see it. It sucks. Uh, so I think there's huge opportunities. I mean. I loved live on three man live on three is what got me into esports in 2010 yeah. was listening to Scoot slasher and Marcus who know everything about every community that I every single Sunday it used to air on Sundays uh I would just I would get like be multi-tabling poker games and watching live on three and watching whatever other esport event on my other monitor and I was happy like I, I missed that show and I, I want it to exist again
0: yeah yeah you, you know an interesting thing you mentioned there is multi-tabling on poker tables did you do that yeah
1: when it was legal
0: oh yeah when it was le- oh, actually yeah. that brings into another conversation too um yeah. gambling is that where your site is gonna eventually god my power flickering please don't go off uh, uh, oh no florida stop um uh, <laughs> uh gambling is your site going to end up pushing towards gambling because i could see it being a very natural jump obviously you can't because it's illegal in uh i don't know if there's any states that it's legal and i think there might be there's a few yeah there's a few um yeah. but right now you guys are I think uh out of California right? Yeah. Um
1: yeah, so I guess I guess to answer your question, um I've said this very transparently in the past. Um I don't do sports betting. Yeah. I don't play fantasy. It's not something I am super knowledgeable about nor is it something I'm super passionate about. But if we're building an audience of Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions upon millions of esports fans, probably more hardcore, yeah. and clearly a, a natural synergy there. So uh, I don't know if you saw the news just yesterday or two days ago, ESPN and DraftKings officially partnered up. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. One year ago, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney who owns ESPN, said, that he doesn't foresee there's just too much
0: money in it like i don't know anyone who says that i just like any sort of thing that you can do gambling there's so much money in it i don't know why you wouldn't it's insane i mean some uh, esports teams literally were able to fund themselves through gambling okay that is how insane it was like all these all all, esports teams i think mostly lose money especially like the i mean the european ones you can actually see their uh yeah, era, like how much they're losing um, and you're just like, oh, well, how did they make a lot of money? It's like, oh, hey, look at these uh, these betting uh, sites that are like advertising. Yeah. It's insane. It is crazy. But your platform sees yeah. it almost seems like a very natural fit, especially it if is. you're doing fantasy league. It's like only one step. Like, how much money do you want to spend on your game? So it seems yeah. like a, a very natural fit, which has got to be also a very interesting quandary being in the united states where it is mostly illegal mostly illegal but
1: becoming more and more accepted and more yes. and more legal extremely rapidly um i don't follow this stuff as closely we have some investors who actually are in the that sports makes, betting space yeah. so they 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 know this and they're sending us updates like oh did you see this news like it might be legal in florida soon oh like new jersey blah 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 so it's becoming more uh valid to as a business model yeah and i mean if freaking the espn is leaning into it we can too so um that's a really long-winded way of saying like it's complicated but there's obviously a great opportunity for us there
0: yeah because as far as like monetization if you could do that i mean I, I that might honestly solve any sort of like it's insane it is just incredibly yeah. insane how much it is
1: um absolutely yeah.
0: a, a slight side question you originally started uh gamescast tv with uh, obviously Matt. Con. was there ever any thought about bringing him in for this project which is a, a 2.0 of gamecast tv and i always wondered why yeah. he wasn't brought in
1: um actually he was brought in um so uh, oh, there we go well before we yeah before um before we actually even incorporated the company and it was just a spreadsheet and it was a deck and it was an idea i was like hey matt like i'm basically building gamescast 2.0 as you rightly called it i've called it that that before i quoted you um, that's
0: a quote from you let okay. me like, i'm not that good at making up titles. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah. all right.
1: fair enough um he came up with our first logo um and but at the time we had zero money and we hadn't raised any and i hadn't put any money into it yet so it was just a bunch of volunteer efforts and he politely bowed out after working with on it f- for like two weeks or something so i did actually he was the first designer i reached out to okay. um would have been kind of cool
0: yeah, but, I always wondered, like, what was, because it seemed like there'd be a story there, because, like, like it, it it just, it was your guys' idea. Like, I mean, it was very close to, I mean, obviously, the technology has advanced uh, significantly since that time, which I think makes yeah. everything look nicer and is uh, easier and stuff like that. But I always wondered that, because that seems like a story, like, you know, it was interesting. So I'm sorry that he, I bet you he regrets not coming on now that, like, everything is, I'm just saying, uh, Matt, if you're out there, you probably regret your decisions. <laughs> Bit. I think he's doing fine. I think he's Maybe. doing fine. Yeah. Maybe. Um, it, do you think that you're going to end up being bought out? Do you think that's what's going to happen? Or do you think that you're going to keep the company, like realistically?
1: Um, yeah, I do think that we're going to be bought out. I think that's the startup dream. It's either... Get bought out or IPO. Otherwise, you know, no one, none of your investors ever get any liquidity. It's the only way that in in the in the way that people invest today that that actually anyone makes any money. So, um, I think a buyout is likely for us for a lot of reasons. I think uh, if you look around uh, in in the media world, almost every gigantic media company out there, period, has um, either invested in esports owns esports property or has bought an esports property um disney like yeah. they have they have espn espn esports um you know mlbam is like the their you know technology platform for you know streaming which is interesting they're like you know turner bought Beech, bleacher report and has run e league uh, you know fox uh 24th century fox put 100 million million into uh caffeine yep. tv um, and, uh, the list keeps going. Like Comcast is involved. Verizon is involved. So I think a lot of these big media conglomerates, um, uh, what well, they need to stay on the cutting edge. They need to appeal to the younger audience. Uh, and we could potentially offer that. I'm not looking to this around in two years i think we have a lot of growing to do first i want to i want to be a place where tens of millions of people are coming every year to yeah. check out what's going on in esports but at that time you know those you know these media companies are potential acquirers i think sports betting companies are potential acquirers you know we've seen better collective acquired hltv.org um like three months ago yeah for 35 million dollars um you know I think what we're building is like HLTV but for every eSport um, that's kind of our like part of our vision anyway um, so yeah I, I do think we'll be bought and and hopefully it'll be a really great outcome
0: for everyone yeah I, 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 I it's interesting I uh, looking at selling it I, and obviously this is way years down the road um, what do you think it would take for you to sell it? is it just a price tag is that all it is no I
1: mean obviously not I think I'll want to Remain involved, and I want to remain in control. Um, uh, I want to do what's best for the esports community. Um, mm-hmm. You know that really is our goal: is to grow esports. So as long as we can do those things and keep building content and keep keeps shedding light on grassroots esports communities and yeah. help, hopefully, help drive revenue for people throughout the value chain. I will be happy. You know, I think um, you know we we definitely yeah. want to. Be with the technology dream. You know, we want to do the billion-dollar exit. We want to be a unicorn. But if we can, if we can have a great outcome for all of our investors and we can keep doing awesome things for esports, I'm going to be super happy. Okay.
0: So doing a startup takes a lot of time and effort. Um, what does that take away from your like personal life and your personal relationships? Is that something that nags on them? Because I imagine um, I know esports in general uh, kind of does that because it's a very time-intensive thing. Uh, but I. I've heard the same thing from startups that they're just as time intensive.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, it, the, the I think you can imagine the pressure is pretty intense. Yeah. Um, it's not just it's not just me making my own destiny. I've got a lot of people who rely on me, who are who their salary is dependent on what we're doing. In and, and frankly, they're they're sacrificing a lot. Yeah. So they're sacrificing so much, and I'm so thankful for how much the, you know, they're sacrificing because we're not able to pay, you know, market rate right now. So, uh, my employees have taken a leap of faith to join the company and we're giving them a lot of equity. So they have that ownership, but you know, every startup has the risk of just dying. (laughs) So, uh, they're taking a massive risk and they're, they're, they're not making the money that they could make in a lot of other jobs. So, there's a lot of pressure and anxiety to make sure that uh, i taking care of my people. Um, and now we're running this crowd equity campaign. And so we have 650 new investors, some of which put hundred bucks in, some of them put 10,000 bucks in. And, you know, I want to, I feel the same way for about our investors. It's, you know, we gotta, we gotta make a successful company and have a good outcome uh, because these people have put a lot of money into the product. So, you know, that stress is, is pretty intense. Um, and, you know, some weeks are great. You know, you're riding high. Metrics are looking great. Got a new investor. Everything feel like you're on top of the world. Next week is like, oh, shit, our retention was really bad this week. What happens? Like, why was it so bad? You know, why did we get more viewers? Are we doomed? Is it over? Like, you know, imposter syndrome is something that you can feel in all kinds of different roles. But yeah. um, this is the first time I've ever run a company. So, you know, the, the, the stress is intense. But I guess I would say, I'm used to working weekends. I mean, I've been doing this. Yeah. Basically the whole time I was on Twitch. I mean, uh, every eSport event's always been on the weekends. Yeah. So, um, I'm kind of used to that part, but the, the added, the, you know, the, the pressure of not letting down my employees and my investors is, is definitely a lot.
0: What's that like dealing with this imposter syndrome? Cause I imagine this is a whole new ball game, right? Like you even mentioned it there, like being the, the head honcho and being there and having to do all this thing, uh, you're responsible for many people's lives. Uh, what's it like dealing with that imposter? Syndrome? What does that feel like for you?
1: Well, I'm, I'm lucky to, you know, my co-founder, Chris, um, he's like, he's the COO and, yeah. you know, for good reason. I mean, he, he, he works harder than me. For sure. He does like this dude works all hours. Um, and, um, you know, it's really, I'm, thankful to have someone like, like Chris that I can rely on to, <laughs> to just get shit done and keep pushing me when I'm, when I'm moving too slowly. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's like, we're, we're at the early, early startup stage. We are pre-revenue. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, our user base is growing quickly, but we are, we are like so many steps removed from actually built being a successful company that sometimes it's just like, it, it's feels extremely daunting. Um, yeah. But you know, you know uh very cliche but you just got to take it a step at a time
0: yeah uh, do you ever have employees that are where do, you, do your employees have that same level of fear or are they just mostly happy-go-lucky or do you have to ever like be like, you know what i i, I stick it no, out I, make it work
1: well i'm I'm being very transparent with you here and i'm being and i'm always transparent with with my employees too mm-hmm. uh every week we talk about our our financial metrics how much money we have left in the bank every week we talk about what went well and what went terribly. Uh, and we talk about our numbers and what our what our pain points and our issues are. So uh, I've always been extremely transparent with with the company, yeah. and that's not gonna change. I no.
0: imagine that, that this investment then, especially the the overwhelming amount of people who have recently invested, because I don't know if you ever, I don't know if you imagine that you would have three hundred like 350,000 extra dollars just coming in here. Like that's pretty insane. And not this a,
1: soon, not this quickly, no, <laughs> like, absolutely. It's not,
0: even, it's not even been a week, has it? I. No, it's been five days. I mean, that's gotta be a, a huge mountain of relief for you and your team in general, right?
1: Absolutely. yeah. Um, I've done fund I did fundraising last year. We closed about eight hundred thousand uh, dollars. and our burn rate's low. I mean, there's only four of us full time. We've got yeah. a couple contractors. So our burn rate's relatively low, but uh, this is a huge sigh of relief because this gives us the flexibility we need to not be like, oh shit, Like if our numbers are down next month, like we, we have the ability to like, not, not freak out about it. You know, we have the ability to think analytically, like what's the best thing we can do to grow long-term and not just be like, okay, we have to grow every single month. Otherwise we're going to die. So, you know, I think we definitely hope to raise more, you know, we're at 360,000 right now, just open the page. It's amazing
0: oh really it would i wrote down stress. this number like literally right before this interview i think and it was at uh three forty five, i think
1: that's so. that's how fast it's growing right now which is totally insane um so yeah it's been awesome but uh you know i think we we want to get even more so yeah you know, even more runway and flexibility
0: yeah and another question for you about you um mm-hmm. How long do you think until uh you guys are going to be profitable like is there a time frame where you think that you might be to where at least you're you're hitting your burn rate, right where everything is you know what this is good like it's okay we're maybe not making money but we're also not dying yeah um
1: so our modeling gets us there in 2023 Mm -hmm. so a couple years Um, we're primarily looking to do that through the subscription model so our goal is to get tens of thousands of people paying five to 10 bucks per month. And that's the primary way that we expect to be closing that gap. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of different schools of thought in Silicon Valley. uh, One of which is go spend as much money as you can to get as much market share as possible as quickly as possible. And that does definitely work. Uh, But right now, especially given the fact that we're in a global recession, probably, if not depression. Yeah. um, I think most, most folks are kind of going the opposite direction and wanting to build um, sustainably. And that that's how we do think about things. Um, you know, it's going to be really difficult to get 35,000 people paying five bucks a month. That's going to be super hard, but um, I think it's doable. I think uh, there are millions of e-sports fans out there that will enjoy and benefit from using juked and, our goal is to just get maybe 2 to 3% of them to actually be our subscribers and that that can get us to to profitability and to break even and as we layer on fantasy and we layer on gamification and advertising sponsorships you know we'll hopefully be in the point where we're making you know millions yeah
0: um looking at covid i imagine that that's got to be that's got to be causing some of the worst feelings for you, right? Like everything that's going on with their society, being a new startup, I imagine has got to be terrifying.
1: Horrible timing, dude. I mean, we um, we actually, so we're, we're doing this fundraising right now through Republic where yeah. anyone can invest as little as a hundred bucks. Um, but we actually, we graduated from 500 Startups, which is the accelerator here in San Francisco. Uh, basically, Y Combinator is like the golden standard for for accelerators, but 500 startups is like right there, um, that in the conversation with Y Combinator, and it's one of the most prestigious. Our goal was to raise, um, after we finished with 500 startups, that was March, uh, which is when the entire world shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually, the plan was to raise, uh, back then, and we ended up postponing it completely, uh, uh, because, because of COVID, um, uh, you know, venture capital has trickled to, uh. just a small percentage of what it was before um and you know even in the other aspect which people really overlook especially in the media right now is like everyone's like oh esports it's thriving in covid no one's buying anything (laughs) no no one's buying anything and no one is no one enjoys a broadcast where everyone's at home yeah more than in a stadium with a roaring crowd where the players are walk up and give each other a hand. No, yeah. it's not the same. Um, League of Legends, LCS did really well. LEC did really well, but has there been a counter-strike major the entire court? Uh, entire uh, Valve, COVID? I think Valve no. said they're not going to either. And they're not going to. Has there been an, a Dota major this entire time? No. Uh, Overwatch League, Call of Duty League, uh, LCS, LEC, those have doing been doing well. There have been a bunch of counter, online counter-strike leagues, but One of the communities we had the most traction with was Smash Bros. Yeah, there's There's been a grand total of like three interesting Smash Bros tournaments in nine months uh, because of COVID. So, uh, uh, or seven months, whatever. Uh, So, like, there's this notion that like esports is doing amazing and it's the best thing ever to have. No, it's actually really impacting some communities super negatively, fighting games, Smash Bros in particular. uh, And viewership is actually down. You know, people people haven't been talking about that at all. But uh, from from everything I'm seeing, viewership is is not up. So COVID has been tough for us. Terrible timing for when we were hoping to raise. But uh, you know, this crowd equity campaign is going really well, and that gives us a lot
0: of buffer. Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. I mean, that's gotta that's gotta be good. Um, looking at you as a person, uh, I noticed that you. It's funny because you you mentioned it's almost like are you feelings driven i feels like you make a lot of like you seem very smart and analytical too but it feels like a lot of it just is like if this is the right instinct then i go with it
1: yeah absolutely uh
0: is that ever, has that ever has ever hurt <laughs> you because it feels like it hasn't it, which is i think very uh, lucky um uh, but
1: well i i yeah i mean i don't know but what are the, what are those charts? Like the INFP or what, what all those like different things with like personality and mood charts? I'm definitely more on the the feelings than the analytical side. Um, I mean, yeah, I think being super, super organized was never my strong suit. Mm -hmm. Um, it's definitely bit me in the ass. Uh, I think the worst thing that ever that like the worst issue that ever happened with me, uh with 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 like relying too much on just like feelings and like not making sure that all the ducks were in a row was uh my time at Twitch we were working on this BD deal with a esports partner yeah. and we were going to do their premium subscription on Twitch and you know they had done premium subscriptions many years in the past and they had driven millions millions and they were willing to do it through Twitch's subscription program um and I, I was working on this deal. It was just me. I was like 23, 24. I was super young, never really worked on big BD deals before. I was working with their legal team back and forth. And I, I had assumed that Twitch was going to be willing to do this integration. It required some engineering work to do it. And we came up to like a month before the thing. And then I got like, oh, by the way, uh, we're not, we're not going to do that. And that was like, that was maybe one of the most embarrassing things of my entire career was and biggest disappointments because it was going to make Twitch a lot of money. If I had actually been able to convince people, but you know, I didn't, didn't do my diligence as well as I could have. Yeah. It was terrible. Oh God. Yeah. No fun.
0: Yeah, that would be that would be awful. So you have a lot of promising going things going for you in the future. I really like having you on here. I actually only have one last question for you. I've had a lot of fun on here. I hope you did too. If you didn't, too bad. You kind of got stuck here and you're almost done. So there's <laughs> not much you can do about it. Um, so I, I have one question for you. It is arguably the hardest question that I might ask you today. Um, at least that's what everyone says. So having had the experience being on the show, um, if you could see anyone to be on the show, who would you who would you like to see on the show? And if you pick someone who I've had a like
1: OK, um, I watched your show before, so I know that I was prepared for this question.
0: Oh, um, that's cheating. God. OK, well, that's yeah. good. That's good. That's OK. Um, but
1: all of a sudden in my head, I'm like second guessing myself. But I think um, you can Carmack, give me a couple.
0: Carmack. OK. Uh, yeah,
1: I think he has had um, extremely deep knowledge of this industry since day negative <laughs> one. Uh, started as a journalist way back when has done just about everything at ESL. Um, the thing that was just running in my head there was like any of those old ESL guys, I think they have got to have the most insane stories. I don't know how much they would say, but you know, if if you could, uh, if you could interview Ralph, you know, the CEO of, of ESL, I think any of those guys, cause I mean they're they're like the esports illuminati yeah. I mean seriously like um uh Jens Hilgers uh, Ralph uh, CEO of uh, of ESL um uh you know Alex who, who went to found SK Gaming later on all of those guys like their tendrils go real deep so I think they'd be really oh. interesting but I'll go with Carmack
0: Okay. I think that's a good one. I think that's a good one. Um, believe it or not, I, uh, I don't have any other questions for you. I loved having you on the show. You're a lot of fun to talk to. If you have any shouts or anything, you're more than welcome to uh, to do them here. Um, my very small audience will maybe listen to you. Hopefully, they will, uh, but go ahead. Yeah, no, it was fun. I
1: definitely was happy to jump on the show because I really like how you conduct these interviews. Thank I you. like just that conversational style. It's awesome. Um, give Juke to try Uh, regardless of what esports you follow, we're going to have everything you need in one place. So Juke.gg, please register for an account. When you register, you can set your favorite games and it'll curate the experience to your liking. We also have something called the Daily Digest, which sends you all of the matches happening in the esports that you care about. Uh, We just added news to the site. So we're going to start to add news to that Daily Digest in the near future. So um, Juke.gg, if you're a fan of any esport, one esport, two esports, you want to know everything that's happening Across esports, we're going to solve that for you. So uh, give us a shout and please consider registering for an account.
0: I have a registered account, it. so you, you should too. Like I yes, feel like that's, there you go. that's how it goes. Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciated having you on there for everyone out there to spend the minds of media. And until next time, I hope you guys all have a wonderful day. Oh, hello there. I hope you enjoyed this video. So make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on those notifications. Shout out to all my Patreons that support me. If you're looking to support me, you can find my Patreon at patreon.com/slash Blake. You can also find me streaming throughout the week at twitch.tv/slash improvblake.